0: Hello everyone, happy Sunday afternoon. Welcome to Life in a Backpack, where we talk about minimalism, working online, traveling the world, and in today's episode, money. A couple of housekeeping items to start. So first, just a disclaimer, since this episode is about money and personal finance, a reminder that this podcast is for entertainment purposes only, and it's not intended to replace professional financial advice. I'm not here to tell you what you should or shouldn't be doing with your money. So make sure to take everything that's said in this episode with a grain of salt. And second item on today's calendar as of a few days ago, this podcast is now on YouTube. So if you're somebody who regularly listens to podcasts on YouTube, we would definitely appreciate a subscribe either there or, of course, wherever you regularly listen to podcasts. So, with those things out of the way, today I want to talk about what I'm going to call financial quicksand. So, financial quicksand is a state of mind mostly where you haven't really been keeping track of your finances or maybe your spending has gotten a little bit out of control and all of a sudden your financial situation seems so overwhelming that you don't even know where to start and you end up in this state of financial paralysis where you can't even so much as check your credit card statement in order to pay it off because you're just balls to the wall terrified of seeing how much you owe as you avoid it and it keeps piling up piling up piling up and of course the fees and interest pile up on top of that so today I just wanted to offer a few tips as to what you can do if you're in that situation that are as painless as they can possibly be and that will hopefully let you regain some sense of control over your financial situation and more importantly will prevent you from losing any more money to fees and other expenses that you're really only losing because you're stressed and at this point you're just avoiding the entire situation These are definitely not intended as a permanent solution. Eventually, you're probably going to need to check your credit card statement and do some things that might seem really intimidating and might leave you feeling really guilty about some of your spending habits but they will hopefully serve as a step to help you contain the problem and not sink further and further into the metaphorical quicksand. So first and foremost, one of the most impactful things you can do is if you have any money lying around in a checking account or a savings account and you don't need that money for any upcoming expenses like, for example, your rent, is to use that money to pay off any outstanding consumer debt that you have. So if you have any debt like, for example, payday loans or credit card debt or line of credit debt that's collecting interest the biggest favor you can possibly do for yourself is probably to pay that off even if you don't have very much money so for example let's say you only have fifty dollars to pay off right now well if you have credit cards that collect interest at 20% per year. Over the course of the next year, that $50 of debt is to, is going to turn into $60 of debt. And the following year is going to turn into $72 of debt. So even if $50 doesn't seem like a huge payment to make and doesn't seem like it's going to make a huge difference. Over the course of the next year, every $50 you throw at your credit card debt is going to save you $10, which if you think about it, really adds up quite quickly. And not only that, but if you haven't made a payment in a while and you don't know if you've missed any minimum payments, just making that $50 payment might actually cover a minimum payment that you may not have made yet. And that will not only help you with your credit score, but it'll save you from incurring any sort of late payment fees that might be associated with not making a minimum payment. So if you have extra money and you know that you're not going to need it, even if it's in a savings account and that savings account is collecting interest, as long as the debt exceeds the interest on that savings account, which most often it will, every dollar you can put towards your credit card will stop the accumulation of interest on that dollar in its tracks. And this also holds true if you're just going to go out and spend that $50 again the very next day because credit cards typically have a grace period during which you're not collecting any interest. So you if you have $50 that's already collecting interest and you pay off the $50 and then you spend $50 the next day, you've still saved yourself, depending on the exact credit card you have, about a month's worth of interest on that $50. So it resets the clock, so to speak. Another thing to note is that you don't always have to look at your credit card statement in order to pay off your credit card or any other type of debt that you have. Oftentimes all you need to do is set up a bill payment and punch in the details for the card that you want to pay off and then decide which payment amount you want to make. So if you know for a fact that you have a credit card and you owe at the very least $500 on it and you can set up a bill payment and make that $500 payment, then at least you've taken a step towards getting your credit card debt under control without having to first work up the guts to look at your credit card statement and freak out and think, oh my gosh, I owe $10,000. I'm completely screwed. And again, to be clear, this is not a permanent solution. You should absolutely definitely check your credit card statement and know how much you owe and know what the minimum payment is and know what interest is collecting on it as soon as you possibly can. But if you cannot bring yourself to do that, then at the very least, make a payment if you know you owe at least that much. And going forward, keep track of the things that you spend on your credit card so that you know how much you owe at minimum. And also get a little bit more of an intuitive feel of where that money is going and what categories you're spending a lot of money on. If you have very little money to actually put towards your debt and you don't know which debt to put it towards, then the best thing you can do as a rule of thumb, is to first make any absolute minimum payments that you need to make on anything because minimum payments will at least help to keep that credit card or line of credit active. It will keep your credit score afloat and it will help you to avoid any late payment fees that you might incur if you don't make the minimum payment. And then once you have made the minimum payment... If you have any money left, put that towards the highest interest debt that you have. If you don't know what that is, then very generally speaking, payday loans will have the highest interest rate, followed by credit cards, followed by a line of credit. That is obviously not true in every single case. It's just a general rule. So make sure that you are finding out what the interest rates are on your different credit products. But if you don't know and you just want to throw money at something and get it out of the way, then that is a general rule that you can follow. So once you've done that, the next thing you can do is look at any sort of subscriptions and automatically recurring payments that you have. Now, these are things that can really easily get you into a huge financial hole because oftentimes you sign up for a trial and you don't remember that that trial ever existed and it charges you even though you never intended to keep the service or you completely forget that you have it until you look at your statement and realize that you never canceled it. And it's also the sort of thing that you kind of have the tendency to brush aside sometimes. So you look at it and think, oh, well, I'll get around to canceling that or like, oh, well, it's only like $20 to $30 and you don't necessarily realize how quickly it can rack up until before you know it, you've spent like $500 on this product that you do not use and never really intended to keep in the first place. So by far the easiest way to figure out what subscriptions you have, if you're not sure, is to look at your recent three credit card statements just because some of them don't renew monthly, some of them renew every quarter, some of them renew every six months, some of them renew every year. It really depends on what subscription you have, but looking at the first three months will cover usually the bulk of the subscriptions that you have and the things that come off of your card on a regular basis. So if you can, just take half an hour of your time to sit down with your recent credit card statements, and if you have them on paper or even if you have a PDF and can highlight on your computer, just highlight the things where either you've seen it a few times and just totally don't know what it is or you know what it is and you've just forgotten to cancel it and highlight it and go cancel that if you don't need it anymore. This is something I had a huge issue with a couple of years ago and I have been guilty in the past of not checking my statements regularly enough. You should check your statement once a month but unfortunately At the time, I wasn't really doing that, and I actually ended up racking up about $300 in costs just towards subscriptions that mostly I didn't use at all every single month. And to give you an idea of how out of control this was, so I had this one subscription that renewed every year for about $120. And it was a subscription to a website that would allow you to create and send to people digital christmas cards so basically you would create the card and then it had a video of these like animated characters dancing and it was supposed to be funny i think and then you could send it to your loved ones and the craziest part about this subscription is not only that i was charged for it four years in a row without ever canceling it but that this subscription renewed every year in july Not November, not December, when everyone is in like a Christmassy mood, it renewed in the middle of summer, which means that at one point, four years before canceling the subscription, I was sitting there in the middle of the summer and I thought that would be a great time to create Christmas cards and sign up for a $120 subscription to this card making service. So all this to say, if you go through your subscriptions and you see something and you start shaking your head and feeling guilty about having spent that useless money and essentially having thrown it away, just remind yourself that that money is already gone, it's already been spent, and the best thing you can do with that now is to cancel the subscription as soon as possible. And also just to remind yourself of that experience the next time you sign up for a subscription, especially next time you sign up for a free trial, telling yourself, oh yes, I'm definitely going to cancel before this trial ends, like, yeah, duh. And remember the last time where you said that to yourself and then you didn't cancel the trial and how much money you had to spend as a result of that. That's not to say that you should never sign up for a free trial again if you're really good at keeping on top of them then more power to you. But if you're the kind of person who has a tendency to forget, make sure to at least have a system in place to remember those free trials before they expire or consider whether the free trial is worth the money that you're going to spend if you forget about the subscription and don't cancel and happen to be charged. If you're scared of your credit card statement and you really don't want to look at it in order to find out what subscriptions you have, there's a couple other ways you can figure this out. So firstly, you can go through your old statements if those are a little bit more approachable to you. But if that's also not in question right now, you can just take a few minutes to brainstorm the subscriptions that you've seen before or that you know you have and need to check on. You can also check places where you might have multiple subscriptions just in one bundle. So for example, your Apple ID, if you're somebody who subscribes to things in-app, is going to show you the entire list of subscriptions you have in different apps and is going to let you cancel them all in one place. So if you just go into your Apple ID account and you look at all of your subscriptions, then you can see them there all in one place and you can cancel the ones that you don't need anymore. If you have a sneaking suspicion that there's some that you've missed, another trick you can use is to go into your password manager if you have one. So password managers are those things that save the username and password for each individual website so that when you load the website, it the spaces are already auto-filled with your username and password and all you have to do is click login and you're automatically there. So usually in each browser, there is a place where you can find all of your username and passwords. So if you go into that And look at all the websites for which you have usernames and passwords. You can often find websites on which you have paid subscriptions and then you can just go into those and cancel the subscriptions one by one. And this is also a good way to find subscriptions that maybe only renew once a year which are good ones to find especially because when they only renew once a year they tend to be really really big. So sometimes you'll have a case where it's like twenty dollars a month but If you're buying the annual subscription, it's like $200 in one shot and you don't get the rest of the money back even if you cancel halfway through the year. So once you're done with subscriptions and you've dealt with all of that, you can move on to looking at the junk that's lying in your house. And this generally falls into two categories of crap. Firstly, crap that you haven't returned that you could still get money back for. And secondly, Crap that's just sitting in your house that could potentially be worth money. So the first category first, returnable items. Of course, if you have any items that you're not going to use that you think might still be in their return window, particularly if you still have the receipt, stack them up somewhere in your living room or something, put them by the door along with the receipts, and go return them when you can if you either think you need the receipt in order to return them and you don't have that receipt or if you think you're past the return window there's a couple of things you can do so if you don't have the receipt but you do have a record of the transaction or sometimes even if you don't have the record of record of the transaction on your online banking Or anything like that, you can still go to the store and potentially ask them for store credit. This is really dependent on the store's policy, but if you go and ask really nice and say that you just can't find the receipt anymore and that you completely understand that a refund might not be possible, but could they maybe give you store credit for a future purchase or exchange it for another purchase that very same day, sometimes they're willing to make an exception to that. And similarly, if you're past the return window, especially if you still have the receipt or if it was an online purchase, sometimes they're willing to let it slide, especially if you're just a few days past the window. But in any event, it doesn't hurt to ask about those things, especially if you know for certain that you aren't going to use them. But if your attempts to return the item fail and they're not willing to make an exception or it's not returnable, then you can add them to the second category of crap, which is junk in your house. So junk in your house is really anything that you don't use that could potentially be worth any amount of money. So this can be things like used clothing. It can be the blender that you bought that one time when you were on a health kick and used like three times. It can be old tools. It can be a piece of furniture that you haven't used since the last time you moved or really anything like that that you could potentially sell. And in my experience, almost every human with a pulse also has something in their house that they don't use that is worth something. So again, just put those things in a pile in your living room or somewhere where you're going to be reminded to deal with them. And it really only takes 30 seconds to snap a few pictures of it, put it on Facebook Marketplace or Craigslist or wherever you sell your used things. And have someone pick it up in exchange for 20 bucks. So if you have never sold used items before and you have no idea how much to price it for, generally it will depend on the category of item. So for example, home appliances do sell for a large percentage of their retail price, whereas things like low-end clothing generally sell for a really low percentage. But if you're not sure, then the first step is usually to just check comps, which means to just look at the selling platforms that you're selling on and to see how much that type of item usually sells for or is listed for. So you can check eBay, you can check Facebook Marketplace, and just run a quick search and see what people are selling that item for. Now, do be aware if you're selling on the higher end of that price range, it can sometimes take weeks or even months in order to find a buyer for that item. And it's really your choice how much time you want to put into selling an item and how competitively you want to price. But if you're looking to get rid of something relatively quickly, I would suggest just finding the lowest items that are in comparable condition and that are of comparable quality and pricing just under that. So if I'm selling a food processor and I know that food pr- processors of that brand and the condition that mine is in are selling at the lower end for around like 30 dollars 35 then usually I'll price around 25 to 30 But if you don't have time to do all that, then honestly, for now, just take pictures and get them listed. And all of those details, like you can always go back and change the price later on once it's there. But at least if you've taken pictures and posted the item, then it's up and hopefully at least the f- a few of the items that you've listed will sell relatively quickly. Another thing that you could potentially squeeze a little bit of money out of is looking at the fixed costs you have, especially utilities, and doing some price comparisons to see if there isn't something cheaper out there. So this is something that I think seems a lot more difficult than it is to some people, But in personal finance circles, a common piece of advice is actually to just sit down once a year and start calling utility companies and asking for better rates. Because some of them will literally just drop the rate if you're willing to bundle or if you're willing to switch to their company from a different company or literally just because you called and asked for a reduction, especially if they've recently increased the rate. So a good place to start with this is to look at your TV and your phone and your internet because those are things that can also be bundled. And companies really like it when they can give you a good bundle deal on that and also keep you as a customer for all three. So if you know how much you pay for internet, you know how much you pay for your cell phone, and you know how much you pay for TV if you still use cable, then just write those numbers down and remember to take tax into account and then just make a list of five other companies and call them and ask, three questions. So firstly, are you going to get the same level of service? So for example, if you have internet at a particular speed or a particular amount of data per month, is that something that they're willing to offer you the equivalent of? Secondly, are there any costs to switch? Because sometimes switching costs can nullify any savings that you actually have. And thirdly, what their monthly rate is going to be. And if they can offer you something, especially if it's a 20 to 30% reduction or greater on what you're currently spending after you've taken into account any sort of switching costs or any sort of reduction in service typically that's worth switching. So to give you an example, my mom is somebody who still uses cable despite my best efforts to get her not to. And she used to pay $150 for cable. So we live in a place where telecom costs are extremely inflated. So that might not be a remotely relatable figure to you. But regardless, over the course of about five switches, we were able to get that $150 cost down to about $45 a month. And similarly, at one point we were doing a cell phone Switch. So we were going between two companies and we called the one company and they offered us a reduction of about like 20%. And then we called the other company to cancel and they actually offered us an additional reduction on top of that. So that's another thing that you could potentially have happen. And you can expand this in principle to any fixed cost that you have. Insurance is another good one, or if you have a streaming service and you don't mind switching to a different one that might have some new content as well, then you can cancel yours and move to one that's cheaper or potentially even get a free trial for a different one. Another thing you can do kind of on the bureaucratic end of things is to look at all the different bank accounts and credit cards and other financial products that you have to see if you can make some cuts there. So the first thing you can do is look at any sort of accounts that you have. This includes banks, bank accounts checking accounts, savings accounts, credit cards, any sort of financial product that you have where you could potentially incur fees. Now, keep in mind that there sometimes are reasons for not closing these. For example, if you have a credit card that you don't use, some people will keep their oldest credit card and just do a couple of transactions a year on it because that'll extend the length of the credit history that you have on your credit score in some cases. And For some people that's helpful for maintaining their credit score especially if they know that they're about to need good credit for something in the near future. So before you do this just make sure to take into consideration any reasons you might have for not closing a product that you have. But with that said, just take stock of all of the different banks that you're with and all of the different accounts that you have because if you have an account that's there for absolutely no reason then really there's no reason to keep it open because the only thing that could potentially happen to it is that you might incur fees for example inactivity fees or insufficient funds fees if somebody tries to take money off of it when there's no money on the account or annual fees or in the case of a credit card, if it gets charged for something, particularly if you have subscriptions and you don't realize it, then you can end up not paying that because you don't even realize that you owe them money. And that can not only hurt your credit score, but it can also cause you to rack up fees and interest because you haven't paid that on time and a nice side effect of this too is that if you do have subscriptions that come off of your credit cards sometimes canceling the card or even just changing the card number by calling and saying that you lost your credit card and are going to need a new one sometimes that subscription won't go over to the new card so you will in practice have potentially cancelled any subscriptions you had coming from that credit card just in one shot but just keep in mind here that some subscription services will charge you fees so if they're not able to pull the money from your card in their books you're still going to owe them that money so do make sure to cancel it properly when you can And also that nowadays banks have gotten pretty smart. So if you get a new card that's linked to the same account, then sometimes all of the subscriptions will automatically flip over to that new card and you'll still get charged those monthly subscriptions. But in any event, this is a really good way to not only avoid fees, but also to declutter your personal finances a little bit. So if you can make a list of accounts that have just been sitting there for years, either racking up fees or just like sitting there empty, and credit cards that you really don't use and don't need and really only have the potential to rack up fees. Make a list of them, go to the bank, Remember to bring ID because usually in order to close an account, you will need one or two pieces of ID and ask to close the account and just have it completely off of your plate. And then you don't have to worry about incurring any fees as a result of having those accounts open and just not being aware that they exist or not being aware of some of the transactions that are happening with those accounts. Now, just to keep going down this tangent, you may notice as you go through your accounts, some of which you haven't looked at in forever, that you may magically have some money hidden in some of the accounts that you didn't know you have. So this is something that a lot of people have the tendency to do, myself included. If you have something like, for example, a PayPal account or an online account, For a store that you've made a purchase at in the past, you may find that you have some credit sitting there that you didn't even know you had. So another thing you can do is just find any hidden money that is already yours and that is there for the spending and that can potentially reduce your expenses for the coming month or if you're really, really lucky, the coming couple of months. So places where you can find out whether you have any money lurking is things like PayPal accounts where you might have extra money just sitting there. Or if, let's say, for example, you purchased something online and you returned it, you may have gotten credit for that purchase instead of just getting the cash back on your card. And that store credit might be sitting there on your online account. And the other thing you can do is just like look through your junk drawer to see if you have any gift cards that still have money on them. Now for gift cards specifically, if you have gift cards where you think you're never really going to use those gift cards, be aware that there are websites now where you can sell your gift card at a fraction of its value. So typically what you would do is either list the card yourself, depending on the platform, or sometimes send your gift cards in in bulk to them and they'll take care of the rest of the transaction and they'll pay you out a fraction of what the card is worth. So if you have a $50 gift card, they'll usually give you something along the lines of $40 for that $50 gift card, and then they'll sell that to somebody else also at a reduced price, so they'll sell it, let's say, for $45, and then they'll pocket the rest of that. So if you have a gift card to a place that you've never been to and you never intend to go to, you may want to consider cashing out even if you are getting a little bit less money for it, simply because if you weren't going to spend money there after all, and they don't really have anything where you would value the purchase that you could make, you may as well take the cash and spend it on something else that you'd prefer. But if you do have gift cards, do try to use them as soon as possible, simply because having cash lying around anywhere, including in gift cards, it's an asset that essentially deteriorates. So what I mean by that is, let's say you have a $50 gift card to a store, and that store sells fidget spinners for two dollars then at the time that you have the gift card you can get 25 fidget spinners for those fifty dollars but over time in most places prices do go up so let's say all of a sudden the price of fidget spinners has gotten up to five dollars now it, inflation normally is not this extreme but just to use the example here All of a sudden, with that gift card, you can now only buy 10 fidget spinners. So over time, the value of the gift card deteriorates simply because prices go up. So the longer the gift card sits there, the less you can buy for the value of that gift card. And the other thing is, if you can use a gift card and you can save yourself the equivalent in cash, so in this case $50, then you can take that $50 and put it into a savings account or invest it, or use it to pay off debt that's incurring interest, and that's going to save you a little bit more money on top of that. Now, the last two things are going to be a little bit more behavioral as opposed to bureaucratic. So one of the best pieces of advice I've ever gotten in terms of controlling spending is to make what's called a 30-day list. Now, the concept of a 30-day list is that if you see an item in the store and you know you're somebody who makes impulsive purchases or you're not sure whether you want it, then you put your item on that 30-day list and you put the date next to it. And then you make a pinky promise to yourself that if at the end of those 30 days, you still really, really want that item, then you'll go and purchase it. But if within those 30 days, you're going over the list and you see that item and you don't want it anymore, then you take it off of the list and then you've saved yourself the money that you would otherwise have impulsively spent at the store that day. And this is something that I think is a lot more effective than people think it's going to be. It certainly was a lot more effective than I thought it was going to be. Like I thought, like okay, well, probably a third of the things I'm not going to want after 30 days. But in reality, when I tried this out, actually around 90% of the things that I put on the list didn't stay on the list for the entire 30 days, which really surprised me because impulse buying is to some extent a problem for almost everyone but I didn't actually think that I impulsively spent that much money like I considered myself somebody who was already pretty good at figuring out what was an impulse purchase versus what was something that I really wanted to buy and this was just such a powerful piece of advice not only because 90% of things getting thrown off the list also means that you've almost instantly cut your impulsive spending down by 90% but I also think it gives you a greater degree of liberty and feeling of control over your spending habits and it really helps to get rid of the guilty feeling associated with making discretionary purchases especially if you're not somebody who has A lot of financial means, right? Because by the time something makes it past that 30-day list and you know that 9 out of the 10 items that you've put on the list are things that you've scratched off, then that last item is something that you can be very confident that you know you want and you know that that desire has some degree of longevity and you can then go make that purchase with very little guilt knowing for a fact that it's something that you really truly want and that you have the money to buy it because you've saved yourself so much money on those other things that you thought you wanted and were going to buy but then realized you didn't actually want at all. So if you're somebody who goes out and you know that you make a lot of impulse purchases but you're having trouble differentiating between the things that you only want in the moment versus the things that you really want and are still going to want some period of time later, I think this is an immensely powerful tool. And then the last thing you can do, which I found to be really effective, is to take these stupid things that you know you're going to spend money on and simply spend less money on them. So the example that I'm going to use for this is fast food because I think that this is an issue for a lot of people and it's something where you can make a pretty big dent in your monthly budget because it's one of those small expenses that some of us make every week or in some cases even every day or every couple of days. So I think the mentality that a lot of us have when we're about to go make a purchase that we know isn't the most financially savvy is one of oh, well, screw it. This is an expense that is unnecessary and it's going to be expensive regardless of what I do. So you simply go and make the purchase and don't really worry about how much money it's going to cost. But that's actually a logical flaw in our thinking because just because an expense is unnecessary and just because it costs a lot doesn't mean you can't reduce it in any way. So if you're a fast food person, something you can do is make a list of everything that you regularly buy when you go out to eat. So maybe you go to place A in order to get a burger, or you go to place B in order to get a pizza, or you go to place C in order to get an order of sushi, and just make a list of all those places and write down what your typical order is and how much it costs for that meal. And what you'll realize is that even though all of fast food is wildly expensive compared to eating at home, some of it is actually significantly less expensive than other stuff. So I found that cheaper categories of fast food, for example, are things like Chinese food or Indian food, whereas more expensive categories of fast food are if you're... The type of person who buys an entire pizza and then throws away the rest of the pizza, sometimes that can rack up to be a lot. Or some major fast food chains, especially burger chains nowadays, Like and in particular higher tier burger chains, are ones where the cost per meal is actually the highest. So if you're somebody who's going to go out and eat fast food, that's probably not something that is realistic to change overnight, even though, of course, you should reduce your fast food expenditures if that's something that you feel is interfering with your personal finance goals. But... A more realistic thing maybe to do just to start is to look at the types of fast food that are less expensive and eat those. So if you're going to go out and get a burger and fries and you know that that's going to cost you $15, whereas the Chinese takeout place is selling fried rice for $11, then if you know that, you can then go get Chinese food instead of the burger and save yourself those $4. And that might not sound like a lot, but if you actually do that every day, that's like roughly a 25% decrease in your fast food expenditures. So if you're spending $400 every month on fast food, then you've just by doing that and still eating fast food the same amount of times per month, you've brought your fast food expenses down from $400 to $300. So it might sound like it's not a lot to just save a couple of bucks. But if you're spending money on fast food every single day, then that percentage is really worth a lot. And then if you want to take that a step further, another thing you can do is just replace your fast food with something from the grocery store that's cheaper, but that is still tasty. So health is a priority for a lot of people, and I'm not necessarily telling you what you should and shouldn't be putting into your body. This is not an episode that is primarily about health, but I'm going to go out on a limb and say that if you eat McDonald's for lunch, then probably there's not much at the grocery store that you're going to get that is is much less healthy than that and even then if your fast food habit causes two main issues for you one of which is that it's unhealthy and the second of which is that it's expensive you may as well cut down at least one of those so if you're going to eat unhealthy food either way you may as well eat unhealthy food that's at at least a little bit cheaper So if you get McDonald's every day for, let's say, 15 bucks, but you know that your grocery store sells, I don't know, like, let's say pizza pops and pizza pops aren't particularly healthy, but they are $5 instead of $15. So if you can go to the grocery store during lunch and get pizza pops and heat them up in the microwave and eat that for lunch instead, then at least you've dealt with one of those two issues and you've cut your lunch budget down from $15 to $5. And again here, I'm not endorsing the consumption of junk food. That is an issue in and of itself that you may or may not want to address, but at least that will help you get the financial side of your eating habits under control. So that is all we have for today. I hope that if you're somebody who struggles with finances and if it's something that's just really stressful for you and you need help in getting a little bit of a start in a way that's not as intimidating as doing everything all at once, then hopefully this is at least a good starting point for you. And if you're also looking to earn a little bit of extra money on top of what you already earn, I do have an upcoming episode on side gigs. So if that's something you're interested in, then stick around for that as well. So thank you so much for listening today, especially if you've listened to the entire episode, and hopefully we will see you for the next one.